You ever wonder why people do not want the truth? It's kind of an interesting question anymore. Is the trouble of, uh, well, who cares about the truth? Who wants to seek the truth? Who cares to know what is right? That is something we're going to look at in these two chapters of Acts. In Acts 25 and 26, uh, we have the Apostle Paul on a mission, and he is certainly on a mission to proclaim the truth. And we're going to notice as he's proclaiming the truth some interesting responses that come from that that I think are highly instructive for us in talking about the mission that we have and how to look at how we're supposed to go out into the world. Uh, Paul being on a mission, it was so important to him that we have seen that he has been willing to suffer. He's been willing to experience all kinds of trials, all kinds of mistreatment. And uh, we, we note that in the midst of all of this, the Jews of Jerusalem are trying to kill him. It's been problematic. He has to be rescued by Roman hands. And where we left him off was uh, in Caesarea under a kind of a protection uh, prison of sorts to keep him from being killed uh, by the Jews who had set forth a conspiracy that if they could just simply get their hands on him, they were going to kill him. And the last we saw was that there is this uh, governor that has been appointed by the Roman emperor. His name is Felix. And Felix has not made a decision about Paul's life, whether he's going to be set free uh, or not, but rather has spent the time engaging in discussions about righteousness and self-control and faith in God and the coming judgment. And, and something strange happens, and as you come to Acts chapter 25, all of a sudden it starts telling you about this guy named Festus. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought we were reading about Antonius Felix and all that he was doing with Paul. And now suddenly we have a new figure who is in charge of, of Judea under the Roman government, and his name is Festus. As Felix has left Paul in prison during this time for the past two years, Felix becomes replaced by Festus in 59 AD. And the reason why is because Felix has mismanaged his control and his rule at that time. There was a violent outbreak that happened in Caesarea with the Greeks and the Jews, and he kind of handled it in a violent way to end it. And that doesn't go well uh, with Rome. Rome is all about peace. Don't have riots. Don't have chaos. Don't have wars. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. So Felix gets recalled uh, back to Rome. Historians say that the only reason he probably wasn't executed uh, by the emperors because he had some family ties within the Roman emperorship himself. And so he ends up just being kind of cast off to the side. And Festus now gets to have his turn in ruling over the Judean area. That's fairly important to understand as to why the things that unfold in chapter 25 happen the way they do. We're told in, in Acts chapter 25 that Festus now arrives in the province here for his first time. He's beginning uh, to rule. He goes over to Jerusalem to essentially meet the constituents, tell everybody, I'm in charge. And the, the Jews there basically say, well, we want you to do us a favor and release Paul to us. You, you have this prisoner back in Caesarea that was been there for years under Felix. And great way to start off your relationship with us would be to go ahead and give us Paul and things are going to be great here. Well, we know why they want to do that. We know that they have 
been trying to get him killed. You'll notice that the text makes that clear in verse 3, that they want them to send Paul to Jerusalem so that on the way they can have this ambush and go ahead and kill Paul. Festus says there in verse 4, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go back to Caesarea and we're going to have an actual uh, trial of sorts there instead. We're not going to just uh, hand him over to you. And so that's essentially what takes place. Festus makes his way back to Caesarea, which is the the capital of Judea under his Roman rule. Uh, And no surprise, the Jews in verse 7, it says they come from Jerusalem. Says there in verse 7, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Sounds like what happened with the Felix reign and what happened with Jesus, by the way, is that we will throw every false charge that we can possibly throw to try to get this man killed. Uh, And so that's what they do. You'll notice Paul makes his defense very simple in verse 8 and says, uh, against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense. There's no wrongdoing here. It's a, a very simple defense. Everything that they've said about me is false. I am completely innocent, but there is a very big problem, and that's found in verse 9. Verse 9 says that Festus wants to do the Jews a favor. And the favor is to send Paul back to Jerusalem. And so that's what the catalyst for all this is about. Festus is pretty determined to send Paul back. And you will notice Paul's response there in verse 10. He says, I'm standing in Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I'm a wrongdoer and committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to the charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Essentially, Paul recognizes the handwritings on the wall. Festus is going to turn him over. He knows he can't do that. You cannot let me go back to Jerusalem. He's not going to make it to Jerusalem. The Jews are not going to allow it. And so he tells Festus, I'm in the right place. I don't need to be on trial with them. Jerusalem is not where I need to be. And he even says, I'm not even trying to get out of anything. If I've done something worthy of a crime, if I have committed a capital offense, then go ahead and let me die. But you know that isn't the case. And so because of that, I'm going to have to go up the, 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 the chain and I'm going to make my appeal to Caesar, which was the right of the Roman citizen. And so that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does. What I want you to see as this all unfolds right out of the gate is everybody has a, seems to be a vested interest in ignoring the truth here. Uh, The Jewish leaders now for years are ignoring the truth about Paul. Remember, we saw earlier that Paul has made a defense directly to the Jewish people. The things that you're upset about, I haven't done. I did not bring a Gentile into the temple courts. That's not true. I'm just following what God told me to do. God has has called me to give them good news and and make my testimony to the Jews as well as to the Gentiles. But they don't want to hear the truth and instead continue to make these false charges. Felix wasn't really interested. He listened to the truth for a couple of years. You can imagine this discussion going on while Paul's in prison, but nothing happens. There's no change. There's no transformation. There's no releasing of Paul. 
And so he's hearing these words, but doesn't do anything with it. Festus, here he's listening to the truth. His problem is he's more interested in appeasing the people than actually doing what Paul says. Paul is standing on the truth and saying, I've done nothing wrong. Why would you send me back to Jerusalem? You should just set me free. There are no charges against me that are valid. Certainly none that would be worthy of the Roman Empire paying any attention to him in the slightest. And yet Festus is unwilling to do that. He wants to do the Jews a favor and appease them and send him back to Jerusalem so that he can gain favor with his new constituency. So an interesting thing happens in the midst of that. In verse 13, what happens is we read about Agrippa coming to town. Now, Agrippa is the Roman governor of Galilee. And so with now Festus, the Roman governor of Judea, the northern guy, Galilee, Agrippa, is going to pay his respects and come to Caesarea and say, hey, congratulations on the new job. You know, I rule up north. Uh, these Jewish people, you're ruling down south. And that's why you have Agrippa coming. Now, if you hear the words Agrippa, you shouldn't think this is necessarily going to be a positive outcome for Paul. Because what you know about Agrippa is all negative. Agrippa's father is the one who had the apostle James killed. It is Agrippa's father who had the apostle Peter arrested. And only by a miracle is Peter then released from that prison. And remember, it is that same Agrippa that is this Agrippa's father who was eaten by worms in Acts chapter 12 because he did not give glory to God. So that's his dad. And his grandfather is Herod the Great. And Herod the Great is the one who was trying to kill Jesus and all the boys in Bethlehem because he'd heard that the king had arrived. So we have great bloodlines here. We've got some great people as father and grandfather. And now here is Agrippa II, who is uh, in charge of Galilee, who now comes to Caesarea. Well, this is a chance for Festus to try to figure out what he's going to do. And so he's calling for Agrippa to come and he wants him to hear what Paul has to say. He's kind of stuck. And I think it is interesting to hear uh, exactly why he's stuck. You will notice in verse 25 what he tells Agrippa of chapter 25, verse 25. I found that he had done nothing deserving of death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. He's kind of got a problem. Okay, he's going to stand before Caesar himself on a trial. What do I write about this guy? <laughs> I, he, he hasn't done anything worthy of death. I don't even have a charge against him. I don't even know why he's in Roman hands in the first place. He shouldn't be here at all, but he's made his appeal to Caesar. So he's like, hey, Agrippa, you kind of have been around for a while. You've been ruling Galilee. Help me out. <laughs> We've got to come up with something to tell Caesar about who this guy is and why he's in our custody and why he's even going to stand trial uh, before Caesar. Of course, to get a sense of this Agrippa fellow, you can back up just a few verses in verse 23 to get a sense of, of who this guy is. Verse 23 says, 
Uh, so on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. And at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. So I want you to visualize this. This is not Festus saying, hey, Agrippa, while you're here visiting, I got this guy in prison. Why don't the three of us sit down, have a chit chat? We'll figure all this out because I got to write some. It's not what's going on. No, no, this is a whole show. This is a whole drama going on. And so Agrippa coming in and it is the great Agrippa with great pulp and music. And we got the Roman commanders and the soldiers and they're all there. And the prominent men of Caesarea are all there. Bring in this Paul guy. And they come trotting Paul in. All right, let's figure out why he's even here. And that's how chapter 26 sets up. Don't you notice chapter 26, verse 1, where Agrippa then just tells Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And I love the, the picture here. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. So you studied a little bit of Roman or Greek history. You know how the orators, you see statues of it where they're about to speak. They, they put their hand out. That's what that's saying right there. Here's the apostle Paul. I'm going to make my oratory defense right here. And so he stretches out his hand and says, here I go. I'm going to tell you my story why I'm here, what all of this is about. And so he begins to explain who he is from verse four all the way to verse seven is describing being a Jew raised and living as a Pharisee and on trial verse six, because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. He made that defense a couple of times up to this point. The only reason I'm here is because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And you will notice in verse 8, he really emphasizes that. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Hey, if we're talking about God, why would that be a problem? <laughs> and he says, that's the only reason I'm here. Because I'm going around saying, Jesus rose from the dead. That's the whole reason I'm here. This is why they put me here. This is why they want to kill me. And so I stand here only because of that reason. And in verses 9 through 11, he then tells his story of what, who he used to be and why he's at where he's at. I was a persecutor. Verse 11, I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them to foreign cities. You know, sometimes when we read Acts 9, we kind of just more visualize happy-go-lucky Paul on the road to Damascus and he's, you know, carrying out his job and doing his duty. And I want you to hear how Paul frames himself. He says, I went in raging fury against them city after city, punishing them in every synagogue and doing everything I could to make them blaspheme God. That's what I was doing. I was going around doing that. And then he explains from verse 12 to verse 19. Then the guy I was trying to persecute told me he was alive. <laughs> I'm on the road to Damascus and the great light shones. And he says, Paul, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Who are you, Lord? Verse 15, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And I, I'll say this many times, the greatest to me, just to me, and I think maybe to you, the greatest defense of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you ever had any doubt about the possibility that Jesus rose from the dead, it is in the Apostle Paul. 
For why would he ever stop persecuting Christians and become a follower of the very thing that he thought was blasphemous to God, except he saw Jesus risen from the dead? There's no other reason. And that's why Paul comes to his defense so many times that look at what happened to me. I was against him and he revealed himself to me. And thus in verse uh, in verse, uh, uh, let's see there, verse 16, he tells them, so arise and stand on your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things to which you have seen in me and those to which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Here's Paul saying, I did what the Lord told me to do. If he raises from the dead and says, what are you doing? And now here's your mission. Go do the mission. Paul says, well, of course, that's what I did. I'm going to do exactly what I was called to do. Now, what I want to do is spend really the majority of our time in verses 16 through 18, because this is a fairly unique part of his defense. For the third time, Paul has explained this change of life and why he's here. And what he says here in these verses, I think, is is really important because it gives us an explanation about what the ultimate problem is in regards to the mission. I opened the lesson by saying, why do people not see the truth? Why do they not want the truth? Why are people being like Felix and Festus and the Jewish leaders who confronted with the truth simply turn around and go, I'm not going to listen to this or I don't care. I'm not interested. Notice what the Apostle Paul says that God himself, our Lord Jesus Christ, told the Apostle Paul. Look at it again in verse 16. Rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things to which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. Now notice the mission. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and find a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This underscores the whole issue. And the issue is this. The whole world is spiritually blind in spiritual darkness and is under the power of Satan. And I want you to notice Jesus said that. Paul's just quoting what the Lord Jesus told him. Your mission is to go and open their eyes so that they will turn from darkness to light. So where are they? They're in the darkness. They can't see. You've got to open their eyes. They don't see the light. They're in the darkness and they're under the power of Satan. And so you need to go to them and be able to turn them. And friends, this is the great problem of humanity. Everybody is in darkness. 
And we have to grab that reality. People do not see. They are in the dark. They are under the power of Satan. And I usually don't blitzkrieg you with a pile of verses, but I'm going to do that tonight because I feel like this point needs to be so underscored because I think we miss it that the New Testament stands on its head trying to tell us this is the condition of the world. Romans chapter 1 verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks and they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Hear what Apostle Paul says, their thinking is messed up. Feudal in their thinking, their hearts are foolish. Second Corinthians 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers keep, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. Here is a picture of Satan has blinded their minds so that they cannot see the truth. They cannot see the light. They're not grasping the essence of the gospel. Just a couple chapters later, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Why? For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light and darkness? There in the dark is always what the scriptures are saying. Ephesians 4 verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them to the hardness of hearts. Mind darkened, alienated from the life of God. Colossians 1 verse 13, he has trans, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. What were we all in? Darkness. There's this picture, darkness, darkness, darkness. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Friends, the problem is people are living in darkness. We have to get this. This is what every scripture is telling us. People are living in darkness. They do not see. They do not understand. They are blind. When we sit back and wonder, why do people do whatever you're about to fill in the blank? Here's your answer. They're in the dark. They don't see. They don't understand. They're under the power of Satan. They're in the dominion of darkness. We shouldn't be surprised at anything they do. They're in the dark. They're blind. They can't see. We shouldn't be like, wow, that's bewildering. Of course they don't see. And I think this is so important for us to get a sense of. So often what happens is what we think is, well, what the problem is, and the problem is it's the politics. The problem is it's the government. It's the problem is it's our economic system. The problem is the laws. The problems are, the problem is people are in darkness. That's the problem. That's the big issue. And we like to point at all of these other things. And I want you to notice what God said the problem is. Hey, Apostle Paul, here's what you need to do. And his message is very clear. And it's not, well, wait till we get rid of Emperor Nero and things are going to get better. You need to open eyes. Because they are under the power of Satan. And they are in spiritual darkness. 
and they cannot see. This is such an important picture. Have you experienced this? I I imagine you probably have. I've done this a few times. Have you ever sat in a room in the late evening hours? It was a time where you were able to see just fine. You're reading something, you're doing something, you're messing with something. And as the time passes by, it slowly gets darker and darker and darker. And you don't really realize it. You're just sitting there doing your own thing. And then somebody else in the house walks by, flips on the light switch, and you go, Oh, (laughs) I didn't even know I was in the dark. I just became so accustomed to it getting darker and darker and darker. I had no idea. And then somebody flips on the switch, and and somebody goes, Why are you sitting in the dark? And you go, I didn't even know I was in the dark. I thought I was seeing just fine. I started off okay, and it just went away and went away and went away. That is the kind of imagery that is being painted to us. The world is in darkness. The world is blind. They're under the power of Satan. And friends, they don't know it. They don't understand that. And have you ever said where somebody will come by you and say, do you need a light on? And you said, no. And they're looking at you like, but it's dark in here. Oh, no, I'm seeing just fine. Because it just got gradually darker and darker and darker. And you think you're seeing just fine. No, I I don't need a light on. I'm great. And they're looking at you like you're crazy. This is the picture that's being given to us here. The world is this way because this is what's true. This is what the truth is all about. Is that they are in darkness and under the power of Satan. And I want you to notice what the solution is. The solution is a single solution. In verse 18, what is Paul told to do? Open eyes. Well, how's he going to open the eyes? By proclaiming Jesus. There is only one way to be able to open the eyes of people so that they can see. To no longer be in darkness and to no longer be under the power of Satan. And that's the proclamation of Jesus. In fact, you see that in verse 20 as well, where he says there that he is declaring that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. What's he going around preaching? Turn to God. Here's the light. Jesus is the light. And you need to turn from the darkness And come back to the Lord and do things that are in keeping with that repentance. That is the picture that is given to us. And it is the very same picture that the Apostle Paul proclaimed. I read to you verse 4. Let's bring in all of it. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I love the defense. Paul says, guess what? We can't talk about anything else but Jesus because that's the only way to get people to see. We do not proclaim ourselves. 
And he'll even say, we are not, remember 1 Corinthians, we're not great orators telling you great stories and fanciful things and making it all entertaining and fun because that doesn't get people out of darkness. We proclaim Jesus. This is the only way for light to be able to shine. It's something that has been emblazoned in me and why you see me come up here, open this thing and say, let's go. Because that's the only thing that opens minds. Me and stories, no. Entertainment, being funny, that's not going to do it. That doesn't do any good. It is the proclamation of Jesus that was the only thing that can move people from darkness to light and out of the power of Satan. And the Apostle Paul understood that the mission is to give people sight. And that happens through the proclamation of the gospel. I love the image that 2 Corinthians 4 is giving that here is God doing this supernatural work of opening eyes, of giving light through the gospel. In fact, you might remember John 9, where the blind man, in that miracle, the blind man is made to see. And he asks a very astute question. Who else has the power to cause the blind to see? Only God. Only God can do that. Only God can cause the blind to see. And that's why Paul preaches the way that he preaches, and he preaches nothing else but Jesus. So we don't proclaim ourselves. But here's the thing I want us to think about. Therefore, arguing with people who are in the dark about what they can't see is futile. Until we can proclaim Jesus to people so that they see the light... Everything else we talk about is going to go nowhere. They're in darkness. They don't see. And you're talking about whatever point of view you have about life and the world. They don't care. It doesn't make any sense to them. Why? They don't see. They're still in darkness. They're still under the power of Satan. And as a side, I'd like for you to think, even if you win them over to your point of view of whatever background, cultural, whatever thingy you're, you're, you're fired up about, what have you accomplished? They're still not seeing the light. They're still not a follower of Christ. So, so what? All right. Well, they agree with you on economics now or whatever thing you're excited about, but you didn't accomplish the mission. You have to bring sight to the blind, which only happens with the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And only when that happens will they be able to see clearly. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to picture here is he's giving us that reminder that, friends, they can't see. And getting mad at people for not seeing is kind of silly. They're blind. They can't see. We should be sorrowful if they can't see and only be all the more fired up to give them the gospel so that they can see. If we're going to want any kind of change for glory of God and people beginning to be what God wants them to be and turning to doing what is right, it's got to be at the gospel. It can't be anywhere else. Arguments over anything else are going to go nowhere. It is only with the glory of the gospel. In fact, I think it is interesting what the Apostle Paul here even says as he explains himself as he begins to, to, to wrap this up. In verse 22 of chapter 26 
He says, to this day, verse 22, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing, underscore, underline, highlight, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. That the Christ must suffer and that being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So that's all I'm telling people. That's his whole discussion. He's trying to get people to see the light. And the only way to see the light is through the gospel. The good news about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Now, watch what happens in the middle of this. You'd love to say, and see, he proclaimed the gospel, and they lived happily ever after. After he says those words, look at verse 24. And when he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind, for great learning is driving you out of your mind. All right. Guess one response is going to happen as you try to show people the light. You're crazy. Right here. Here's Paul going. And so here's who Jesus is. And and he has changed my life. And I saw him on the road to Damascus. And therefore, that's why I'm preaching what I'm preaching. And my mission is to get people to come to the light and leave the power of Satan. And he's interrupted in the middle of this. And Festus just shouts out with a loud voice, you're crazy. You're just nuts. You're out of your mind. Friends, don't be surprised if people think you're nuts. When you take light to the darkness and they have the very same words come out of their mouths. Boy, you're, you're crazy. Well, understand they can't see and you're trying to shine a light, but they're not seeing it. And so their response is going to be, you don't get it. Friends, that is what we're observing right now in this massive cultural shift that's happening as the world begins to stand against the the principles and the values and the truths of Christ. Is that if you proclaim things and say things and believe things and have faith in things that are for God and for Christ and are light and good and moral and pure, you know what our world is saying? You're crazy. You are crazy. For your stance. You're crazy to call things sin. You're crazy to say there's a judgment. You're crazy to believe what you believe. You're crazy. And we just, okay. Notice what Paul says to that in in verse 25. I'm not out of my mind. But I'm speaking true and rational words. What a great response. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just telling you what God says. Here's here's what it says. You can call me crazy all you want to, but it says it right here. Here's what here it is. These are true and rational words. And they're going to respond with you're just out of your mind. And you go, I'm not out of my mind. I'm thinking clearly. I'm just telling you what God said right here. Great response by the Apostle Paul. Very simple. Here's what the truth is. I'm just trying to show you the truth. I'm just trying to give you light. I'm just trying to help you to see. And help you understand what God wants. There's another response 
After that, verse 28, for the king, he's speaking of Agrippa, knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Now, Agrippa's over Galilee, and so Jesus has done an awful lot in Galilee. This is not like, you know, well, he doesn't know what's been going on, even though the crucifixion's in Jerusalem. Agrippa's been hearing things. Verse 26, for the king knows about these things and to him I speak boldly for I have been persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice for this has not been done in secret. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. I love this. You've heard this. You know. You've got the background. Your father and your grandfather ruled over these areas. You know what Judaism is about. You know what the teachings are. And you've heard what this Jesus guy is. You believe, don't you? Verse 28 or verse 27, King Agrippa, you do believe the prophets. I know you believe in verse 28. Agrippa said to Paul in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Notice what Paul says, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. So when you tell people about the light of the gospel and you're talking to them about Jesus, one response is you're crazy. And another response is going to be dismissive. No. You really think you're going to have an impact on me? Come on, Paul. Come on. Carry on. Go your own way. And I love that Paul's response is just truly an understanding of the mission. Verse 29. I don't care if it takes a short time or a long time. I just want you to come to the light and hear the glory of God. I don't care how long it takes. I just want you to be like me, except being imprisoned like I am. Because it is all about the mission. He understood what he was here to do, and it was a very simple mission. Shine the light, reveal the truth, rescue people. That's all he does. Let me tell you about Jesus. Last week we talked about Talking to Felix about faith in Jesus, talking about self-control, talking about the coming judgment, talking about the very basics of the things of God and having those discussions. The Apostle Paul is shining a light. He understands the mission is to bring light into the darkness. The mission is to live a life so that people will see Jesus and hear Jesus. So that they can be set free from the power of Satan, receive the forgiveness of sins, and enjoy a place among the sanctified. And I hope that the one thing you will hear is that we have been given the same critical mission. We have the same mission that we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We're now the light shiners. We're the ones who have to show the blind how to see, to go into the darkness and shine the light. And the only way to shine light, reveal truth, and rescue people is proclaiming Jesus. Nothing else.
will do it. So let's not get lost in why we're here. And let's not forget what we're supposed to talk to people about. And once we can get people to see, discussions will be a whole lot clearer rather than trying to argue with somebody who's in the dark, who doesn't understand they're in the dark. Let's proclaim the light and show Jesus to the world. Let's go to God in prayer this evening. Heavenly Father, Lord, what an example we see from your apostle and servant, Paul. Lord, thank you for his intensity and thank you for his amazing zeal to adhere to the mission that you gave him to open eyes, to shine light into darkness, to move people from the power of Satan so that they could receive the forgiveness of sins and find a place among the sanctified. Lord, have us the same get Lord, we pray for the same intensity for this mission. And God, I pray that you would forgive us for the times that we have been far more intense about so many other things than proclaiming Jesus. Forgive us for being so caught up in peripheral issues and side projects and things that we might be so concerned about but are simply off the mission of telling the world about Jesus. Forgive us for the times where we've gone off the mission. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a a laser focus and a courage to talk to people about Jesus in all of the discussions that we have with friends and co-workers and neighbors and family, that it would be about Jesus so that we can help people see to come to the truth and to be set free from the power of Satan. Lord, help us in that effort. May our example reflect your light. May our words reflect your light. And may everything we do revolve around that wonderful truth that it truly is all about your son. And may that be all that we stand for. And may that be all that we proclaim and show the world. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing an invitation song and we invite you now to come to Jesus. If you want to come to that gospel message, what a proclamation he made. You can be set free from the power of sin. You can be brought out of darkness to light. You can see as God wants you to see again. If you'll turn away from sin, repent of your uh, past ways and bear fruit worthy of repentance as he was told to go and proclaim. We want to help you do that tonight. Can we help you in any way? You can come forward now while we stand and while we sing.